Well, good morning, Bethel. My name's Ross. I'm one of the pastors here at this church, and um, we're doing church online this morning. Uh, I can tell you in, in 20 years of ministry, uh, this is the first time uh, we've done something like this. I, I remember um, right um, after I came to Bethel, actually it was Todd's very first Sunday at Bethel Bible Church, and we had uh, the hurricane that was down south. Um, it didn't, we didn't get the hurricane necessarily here in Tyler, but it did knock out the power at the South Campus when we were only one campus. So we canceled church that morning. I remember um, about halfway through the morning, the power came back on and we were, people were coming to church and we were turning them away. Yet you could look back in the distance and see the, um, the emergency lights were on. And so, but this isn't that. This is something far more, um, far more serious and uh, far more alarming and, and sobering. Uh, for all of us uh, that live in this community. Um, I'm unsure at this point, uh, based upon uh, the news and what is to come over the next days and weeks um, with regard to COVID-19 or, or the coronavirus, exactly how long we'll do this. We're gonna um, evaluate this um, online gathering um, on a week-to-week -week basis, so we're not making long-term plans about doing this, but we want to continue to rightly respond to those things that our um, city leaders and uh, health experts uh, here in this community have asked us to do, and that is to observe some social distancing, to not have large gatherings, um, because what is most important at this time is that this virus doesn't continue to spread in this community. And the very best way to do that is for us not to gather in large groups. And so um, those that are the young among us, uh, you are not in much uh, danger, it, it, it sounds. The, the, the um, symptoms for uh, coronavirus um, are proving for most people to be pretty mild. I heard Mike Pence, our, our vice president, say that today. The real danger are for those that have secondary conditions or those that are older among us. And so we want to love our neighbors and love our community by doing all that we can in this short-term period to keep the virus from spreading. So that's why we're gonna be gathering online. I, I can tell you, so we had about 24 hours to figure out this format. That's why you see um, kind of an ugly wall behind me. I'm in my office at home. Um, I'm wanting to get this out to you. Um, we'll evaluate our uh, format for this online, and so hopefully next week you'll be hearing from your campus pastor um, if we're online and we're doing this. So our format will change. You don't have to worry. This is the last time you'll probably see it like this, um, and we'll, we'll seek to improve uh, the very best that we can. And so that's all of that to say, um, we've gathered this morning. You're probably in your living room. I'm in uh, my office and I'll be in the living room with my family um, uh, this morning. And we, we've gathered because um, we're the local body of Christ. We're a local body of Christ. We're part of the believers of, of Christ in this community. And so when a, when a threat or a crisis sweeps through us as a people, um, we want to respond to that 
in ways that are biblical, in ways that are theological, in ways that are in keeping with what it means that we're Christians, what it means that we're believers in Christ, what it means that we're a people who trust God with our lives and trust God with our tomorrows and that we're a people who do not fear what is to come because our hope is not in today. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the one who saved us. And so I just want to be clear, and I know you've heard from your campus pastor over the last 24 hours, we're not um, staying home today and doing church online because we're afraid of the virus. Um, that's not why we've done this. In fact, um, we're so not afraid of the virus. Our hope is in another. Our hope is in Jesus. And I do want to say, it's our hope isn't even in that the that the symptoms are mild. Our, our hope isn't even in that, hey, listen, most people, if you get it, you'll be just fine. Our hope is not even in that. Our hope is in come what may. We're people who have confidence um, that we're gonna live forever with Christ. That we're a people, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're, we're people who do not fear death. Um, we may fear the process of dying, uh, but we have nothing to fear when it comes uh, to, to, to those who are believers um, in Christ and those who are connected with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we've gathered this morning uh, this way, not out of fear, uh, but out of love. We, we want to love this community. We want to love our neighbors. Uh, we want to do all that we can to be a part of um, helping prevent this virus from spreading any further than it needs to. We're going to have health professionals that are going to be overwhelmed and overworked, and um, we want to do all we can uh, to, to mitigate the spread of this virus before it would hit a point where it was out of control in our community. And so with that said, here's what I want to do. I want us to go and um, worship together from God's word um, out of Romans chapter 13 this morning. It turns out that Romans chapter 13 is where we were scheduled to be this morning in our series um, in the letter, John, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And so I'll say this really quick while you're turning to Romans 13 or looking for a device, and I'll have it up here on my uh, fancy screen. Do you see this is, this is my fancy screen here? Um, is that this is why I am such a fan of expository preaching. The, the reason is this. I mean, um, this is where we were scheduled to be. It is a reminder to me that God knew what our needs were long before we knew what our needs were going to be. In fact, what I imagined is that we were going to hit Romans chapter 13. Here it is the middle of March. What we'd be talking about is uh, the election this morning. We'd be talking about how do we respond as believers and uh, in the midst of, a, of, a, of an election like we're about to have. And how do we think theologically about that? And we want to do all those things. We're going to uh, press into all of those things later this summer. Um, but this morning, I mean, who could have envisioned that 
that something would come along and would eclipse our concerns about a presidential race. Um, we'll talk about that in the months to come. Uh, but today, I'll tell you, I think Romans 13 has a more uh, pressing application for us. I, I think there's this different um, um, application that when we originally looked at this, it wasn't what we considered, but it's to be considered today. You know, what the news is describing as a, a global crisis is also very much um, our community concern. Um, the coronavirus isn't something that's just out there in, in the world and in the news. Um, it's something that's right here. It's in our neighborhoods. It's in our families. And so this is important for us to consider. It's important for us to take a crisis like this and put it under the light of God's word and, and let it instruct us how to, to operate over these next weeks um, or, or however long it is that this community will be affected. So a brief word about Romans 13. It's, it's this passage every generation of believers um, has to go to. It's a, it's a passage every generation of, uh, of believers in every part of the world has to go to as we press in to discover a couple of things. One, how do we live in the midst of the government that we find ourselves? And how do we live in the midst of the neighborhoods that we find ourselves? How do we submit to those who are in leadership above us? And how do we love those that live around us. And so what Paul's doing is he's going to be talking about both of those things here in Romans 13. He's going to be talking about how do we submit to those that are in leadership above us and how do we love our neighbors that live around us. And he's going to tell us that we want to be model citizens, the very best citizens in a community that we live in. And we want to be those that love our neighbors so well um, that they would be interested in the things that we're interested in. They would be captured by the things that we're captured by. And the motive that Paul gives us is because salvation is um, closer every day. So maybe I would, I would say it uh, this way, is that submitting to those above you, loving those around you, because salvation is getting closer every day. That's what Paul's talking to us about this morning. Um, if you're in Romans chapter 13, uh, let's read a, the first seven verses and we'll look at those together. This is what Paul says, Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse one. And he says it this way. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what's good and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he who is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer, 
Therefore, one must be in subjection, uh, in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Make sure I keep it up here. All right. Oh, well, here, all right, here we go. Uh, now, verse seven, pay, um, or verse six, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Uh, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Thank you for bearing with me on that. I'm, uh, running the slides and reading the scripture is uh, obviously a bigger challenge than, uh, than I'm up for today. Um, but look at verse one. Let's go back to verse one for a second. Now I want you to see. So let every, uh, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God and those that have been instituted by God. So here's the thing. The first thing clear, positive, clear positive teaching here is that civil authorities are, are ordained by God. Um, earthly ruling authorities that are divinely entrusted, he'll say, to, to wield the sword, which means that they, they keep the peace. They enforce the societal well-being. Here's what you need to know. Government is instituted by God back in Genesis chapter 8 as um, 8 and 9. After the flood, it's a part of what he gives to Noah, um, the government, um, the, 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 the distribution of God's judgment in the temporary has been delegated to mankind. It's been delegated um, to government. Um, you also need to know that Isaiah chapter 24 says that government also exists in rebellion against God. While it may um, be favorable to believers um, at times and in places, by and large, government um, and the forces that, that are behind the government, the, the principalities, the, the powers, the uh, the, the prince of this air, I mean, the prince of this world, the prince of the air, um, they're in rebellion against God. There will be a day that comes, a judgment that comes in the future in which all that government will be judged and Jesus will take um, his rightful place on the uh, throne of, uh, uh, of David and he uh, will reign as king. And so all government will be consolidated into the one true king and that'll be Jesus, and we'll all serve him. Until then, um, the temporary government um, in different places, in different forms across the world and throughout history, that's been instituted by God as part of his common grace to, to oversee the, the well-being, the general peace, um, to keep anarchy from reigning in this world. And so what he says is that civil authorities are ordained by God. But also look at this. He, Paul calls us to be subject to them. He wants us to literally um, to, to submit to um, those that are above us. Um, that's the way that he says it. All of us are under God who is above. And so in other words, what Paul's getting at is that whatever the authority um, that is above us, uh, governmental authority, that authority is God's doing. He's installed it. He's instituted it. He's directing it. And this isn't new. The call of God's people have always been to live at peace with the government that they're in, to, 
to live in a way that they are um, in subjection to that government. You can go back to Daniel. You, you can um, uh, go back to um, uh, the, the ways uh, in which when God's people um, did not rule themselves, they were called, uh, like in Jeremiah, when they were in uh, um, Babylon, to, to, to seek the good of the community that they lived in. Um, the New Testament is full of it. The Gospels, the disciples, render to Caesar what is Caesar, render to God to what is God. Jesus didn't come to overthrow Rome. He came to overthrow your heart. He came not to save um, um, Israel from Rome. He came to save you and I from eternal death. And so um, we are to live uh, subjected to the, the government that is around us. Secondly, look at this, this realm of, of jurisdiction um, that, that, that they're to be obeyed. Um, they have been given um, so much authority. Uh, they are to exercise that authority. And if we resist the authority of the government, then uh, what Paul warns us is that we'll bear the consequences of that. There's, there's no free pass for anarchy because we're believers. Um, Scott Gill, who is one of our um, elders, in fact, he's the chairman of our trustee elders. He was preparing Romans 13 uh, to preach at the downtown campus this weekend. And so obviously that didn't happen. But on Friday, he said, hey, I'll send you my notes. And so uh, I said, absolutely, send me your notes. And so he sent me the notes. And one of the things he put in there is verse two is like John Cougar Mellencamp singing, um, I fight authority and authority always wins. That's what Paul's saying. Authority wins. Now, when you get to verse three, um, here on the next slide, it says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. What, what he means is, is that the, the Roman Christians of that day um, and us today, we learn that it's God's will to govern the world of mankind through human civil authorities, through government. That's God's plan. And so all of this to say, we're not to be conformed to this age. The reality is that yes, that there are governments that are bad. Yes, there are rulers that kill Christians. Yes, they tax your money. They, they take your money, God's money. They, uh, they, 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 your, your, your lifestyle though should be merciful and not vengeful. Um, yes, they can exile you like they did the, the Jews in Rome and later the believers in Rome. Yes, they can leave, uh, make you leave. Uh, um, you, you're subject to their authority. Um, but you have to say what Paul says is that civil authority is God's chosen instrument to govern the world of men. So we submit to it out of uh, out of reference for God. Not necessarily reference, uh, uh, reverence for the ruler, but our reverence for God. They're not God, God's God. And so when you submit to them, you submit for God's sake. In fact, um, Peter will say in his letter, uh, be subject to the Lord, uh, or be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So we're to be people that seek to live at peace uh, with the government that we're in, and, and we seek to live 
under the authority of the government that we um, that, that that's over us. And so when he goes on, uh, verse four, he's going to talk about the the state, the the government. It, they're charged with sort of the um, to execute temporal justice um, in a way that Christians individually are forbidden to do. Uh, Romans chapter 12, 17 through 19, vengeance is the Lord. It's not ours to take. Uh, we're to repay um, evil with good, Paul says. And, and justice and um, righteousness in, in the temporal time that we live, that's to be carried out. That's to be executed by those government officials who are over us. Now, all of that to say, we um, are to obey the law uh, in order, um, not just uh, that we don't suffer the consequences, uh, but we obey the laws, uh, Paul says in verse five, because it is a sake of, of conscience. We pay our taxes. Um, the idea, Paul says, is that those that, uh, that are over us, those that we are under, those that we're to be subjected to, Paul calls them ministers. And, and what he's suggesting is that they work for God in the arena of common grace. It's not saving work, but it is preserving work. And so while um, we're in this world, um, we submit and we honor and we respect and we support the leaders that are above us. Um, it doesn't mean that we never question them. It doesn't mean that we never, um, never resist. If they, if they press over across um, what conscience tells us, if they press over across what it is that God's instructed us and God's commanded us to do, we absolutely resist. What Paul's saying is, we've got to know that um, even when we resist, we will bear the consequences. And that's, um, that's part of what it means to be a believer. Um, in fact, the early church, you had you know, lots of believers. They were, they were martyred by um, the leaders that they uh, were under. And so um, this is God's idea, um, but because it's been entrusted with humans, um, it's fallible in many ways. Um, but the fallibility of the government that we're under um, is no excuse for us not to subject ourselves, not to submit ourselves to those that we're under. This morning, for example, um, our, our leaders, our local leaders want us to, uh, to, to help mitigate uh, this coronavirus uh, by, by, by social distancing. So that's what we've done. We want to honor them. We want to respect that. Well, submitting to those that are above you, um, second thing Paul's going to talk about is loving those around you. Verses 8 through 10. Just look with me real quick. He says, um, Owe um, no one anything um, except to love each other, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling 
of the law. What Paul's saying is, listen, we're called to love those that are around us. The only debt that we ought to owe is the debt of love. And Paul teaches that, that you're obligated uh, in a right relationship to, to those that are in authority above you. Um, you live in submission. He's writing now about we're obligated to be in right relationship to those around us. Um, that is that we're to be loving others. If you'll notice, there's no uh, mention of those that are below us because nobody's below us. And in, in these verses, what Paul is, is going to do, he's going to use the word agape, love. He's going to use it five times. Agape, you know it. Um, it's, it's giving, not taking. It's sacrificial for the giver. It's beneficial for the receiver. It's selfless. It's not selfish. It's a radical other-centeredness. And what Paul says is that love is fulfilling the law. In the New Testament, what you find is there's over 50 one another statements. Um, uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. Meet one another's needs. Outdo each other, uh, outdo um, one another in honor. Um, over and over and over again, the New Testament gives us this instruction in how we're to live with each other, how we're to love one another. And that doesn't apply just to those that are in the church and just to those that are in our small group or just to those people that we like. It is a command, it's a call as believers to love all of those around us. When, when asked, um, some, uh, Jesus was asked, you know, so who is my neighbor? And um, that's when he told the story of the Good Samaritan. And the, and the point of Jesus' story is that everyone's your neighbor, particularly those that you would come across that are in need particularly those that you would come across that, that um, may present the greatest inconvenience to you. That's who your neighbor is. And we're called to love. Well, submitting to those that you love, uh, sorry, submitting to those that are above you, loving those that are around you. Paul's gonna say, because salvation is getting closer every day. Look at this real quick, beginning in verse 11. He says, besides this, uh, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light and let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Be in right relationship, he says, with those above you and those around you because salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. When Paul uses the word salvation there, he's not just talking about justification, but he's talking about that as well. It's, it's the word um, soteria. It means to save, um, salvation, uh, deliver from. What you find is that Paul talks about this, um, not just justification, but a final deliverance, the, the ultimate salvation, the, the saving from everything. Paul's speaking of salvation and deliverance from the power and the consequences of sin 
um, our, our salvation to the likeness of Christ and a salvation brought ultimately by the imminent return of Jesus, the one who was resurrected from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, is seated there now and awaiting his return. We're awaiting his return. So Paul tells us, live every day as if it were the day Jesus was coming. Paul wants the readers to live that way. He wants us to live that way, that we'd, we'd be taking off the things of the flesh and putting on the things of the Spirit. So he concludes, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, making no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. And if you're in Christ, that's how we're called to live. It's, it's time for some of us to, to wake up from the slumber um, deliverance, this salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You know, as I think about um, Romans chapter 13, and I think about Paul's instruction to those believers, it's helpful to remember the person that was in charge in Rome at the time that Paul wrote was an emperor named Nero. Nero was um, uh, not someone uh, that the Romans got to elect. Nero was an emperor by right of birth. He um, had conquered uh, people groups. He um, was uh, famously cruel to Christians. In fact, the persecution of believers began during the time of Nero and reached his height really with the with uh, Domitian, the, the guy that would exile John to the uh, to Patmos. But it was Nero that um, would be the one that would behead Paul. Um, Paul that writes this about uh, submitting, living in subjection, uh, li living under the authority of someone like Nero. Nero's the one that would take Paul's head away from his body. Nero would crucify Peter upside down. Um, Nero would, would take Christians and impale them and cover them with tar and light them on fire to light his garden parties that he would throw at night. Um, this is the, 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 the setting, the scene. This is this is the context in which Paul is writing these things. And so it's this reminder that, listen, believers, we have always in every generation, we have found um, those things that come against us, whether it's people, um, whether it is circumstances, whether it's crisis, whether it's persecution, whether it's um, um, angels or principalities, um, th things that are or things that are to come. Paul reminds us nothing separates us from the love of Christ. And so what we can do is um, these, these practical applications. We can, in the midst uh, of a coronavirus, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a global crisis, we are people who are called by God, saved by his Son, we are people who are to live life. Listen, for so many, um, 
life is going to slow down for a little bit. It's, it's, it's going to have to for the immediate future. And, and, and we have this great opportunity to press into this as believers. Here's what I would say. I want you to live your life. We don't live in fear. We're, we're to live life to the fullest. And, and this actually may afford some of you a great reset in your world. Um, you have an opportunity maybe over the next couple of weeks as we're huddled at home more than we usually would be to spend time with your family. Um, spend time with your family in ways that maybe you haven't spent time with them uh, in a long time. Um, there's no sports. There's no UIL. I was just talking to Catherine uh, today about it. She was, you know, she, uh, her orchestra concert uh, has been canceled. And she said, well, what does the virus care about orchestra? And it's, it's not that. It's, we're, we're not to gather in big groups, but we're going to be able to gather and spend time at home together. I would say this, in living this life, in living life, you have a great opportunity, some of you, to make an investment in your spiritual life. It's this great time to press into prayer, a great time to press into Bible study, a great time to read a book, a, a biography. It's a great time to start a journal. Um, you never know the encouragement that this time of journaling may bring you in the future, or maybe a grandchild or a great-grandchild after you're gone. The second thing I would say is not only should we live life, we should, but we need to be people who love well. Um, we are going to um, have opportunities, I think, in ways that we may have not ever had before to, to love well in our neighborhoods. That there are neighbors around you that you don't know and you haven't thought about in a while. And so it's an opportunity when you get stir crazy to take a walk in the neighborhood to pray for those that live around you. Jot down some addresses and send a note in the mail to your neighbors. You know, I mean, a note that says, hey, I, I'm, uh, I'm Ross, and I, I live, or whatever your name is, and I live two doors down, and I was walking the neighborhood, and I wanted to check on you, and, and my number is, and then give them your number, and, uh, you know, so don't hesitate to call if you need anything. That we would um, take the opportunity uh, to press into neighbors who we know or can expect will be home just like we are. Third thing I'd say is that we want to be diligent about staying connected. As our uh, church community, we want to stay connected. We're setting up um, a support network um, for those that have needs. Fritz has been um, working on that with some of our elders, and so we're going to be sending you information really soon, uh, next couple of days, about how you can participate with that. I would also encourage you that every day that you're home, um, make some phone calls. Call a few people a day, um, some old friends, um, call some new friends, check in on them, N nurture some relationships, but begin some new ones. It's a great time for us to do that. Well, um, I want to close this way, and um, that is with an email that Leslie uh, sent out to her women's Bible study today. And she sent it to me. She said, what do you think about it? And I said, well, I think it's so good. I'm going to use some of it for um, Sunday morning. And so here's what she said. And I think it's a great reminder for all of us. 
I'll just read it. She said, well, I just wanted to check in on you since the announcement of church being online tomorrow and all the gatherings being postponed for a while. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm somewhat of a knowledge junkie and I like knowing things and it brings me a strange comfort, albeit not a true one. Since returning from our trip, and Les and I just got back from a trip that we got to be together, she writes, I've had the news on and have been trying to read this or that and just trying to keep up with and understand and forecast what might be coming our way. All of that's a fine thing to do. But after spending time in Ephesians this morning, she says, I was reminded where my true comfort is found. God's word illuminated beautiful truth, and I hope we can all hold fast to it. Ephesians 4, verse 6, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord and one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. All, as they say, means all, even this. Our God is sovereign. He remains unruffled and undisturbed. There are no knots in his stomach, and he's not pacing around the throne wondering how all this happened. Exodus 2 tells us that uh, what kind of a God we have. Verses 24 and 25 tells us that he hears and remembers and sees and knows. And so we may feel unmoored in this unprecedented time, but we're not. The stock market's going crazy. The world's supply of toilet paper has vanished. But our hope goes so far beyond the shelves of Walmart and our bank accounts. Certainly, there are real concerns and issues to grapple with, some that will affect us in deep and personal ways. So we want to prepare our hearts and our souls the best way that we can. Norman Bartlett says we do well to store up the capital of quietude against the day of need. And so three ways that we can do that. Stay in God's word every day. These days that you have, whether it's five minutes or an hour, don't neglect God's word during these days. Continue um, doing those things that you do. Continue fulfilling the obligations that you can fulfill. But neither Fox News nor CNN nor your favorite podcaster will give you as much strength or hope or courage or comfort as God will provide you with his eternal truth. It renews your mind and it fortifies your soul. She also says, hey, listen to some music that'll set your mind on things above. And in the midst of that, don't forget to talk to God. We do a lot of Facebook talk. We do a lot of texting. We even do a lot of self-talk. But this is a time to remember that all of us should turn all of that to him first. Speak to him before you speak to anyone or anything about anything else. Tell him of your fears and worries and frustrations and joys and praise him and thank him and tell him that you love him. Tell him what you're afraid of and what you're anxious about. He is truly the only one who can do anything about it, even better. He wants to help you. 
He wants to grow your trust and your love for him through it all. You know, that's true and uh, maybe never more have I needed to be reminded that God is in control of all these things around us. Nothing caught him by surprise and nothing will. You and I have this great opportunity to live as those um, who love Jesus, who um, are the best citizens that we can possibly be, and that those who care for and love our neighbors. And we've been given opportunities to do that in ways like never before. And so in the midst of this crisis, we're not people who fear. We'll be people who pray will be people who look for practical and tangible ways to reach out, um, to make sacrifices, um, to seek the good of those around us um, even more than our own good, and trusting that God will use all of these things for His glory as He brings it about for our good. If you will, would you bow with me? I'll pray for us. And then we'll um, look forward to the moments that we get to be together. Father, I pray you would do what only you can do. And that is that you would take fear and you would replace it with calm. Father, that you would take those things that feel so uncertain today and you would grant us peace. Father, I pray for those that are watching this that, um, that find themselves overwhelmed, uh, more anxious. Father, I pray that even now your spirit would minister to them in ways and draw them to your son and we would all be reminded that you have said you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. We have nothing to be anxious about. That Father, when your son told those that were on the side of the hill in the Sermon on the Mount that, that you care for us intimately and specifically. Father, I pray we would find our rest in that. I, I pray for those that are sick today. I pray for those that are sick with the coronavirus. I, I pray for those that will find out uh, this week that they're sick. I pray the first response would be one of prayer and one of trust in you. Father, I pray for the doctors and the nurses and the healthcare providers around us. Um, I pray that you would grant them energy, that you would keep them healthy. Father, I pray that this would pass quickly. I pray that it would not spread wildly. Father, I pray that you um, would in the midst of the the time we have um, um, with all so, with so many other distractions that will be gone, that Father, we will invest this time in our families, invest this time in time spent with you, invest this time in our neighbors and with one another. And that Father, at the end of this, as we look back, we'll be thankful for the time that you've given us. So Father, we pray the only way we can and that's in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning. 
Um, and we look forward to seeing you next week.